The title of our message today is The First Persecution of the Church. This is the first place that it shows up. And this is our line-by-line, verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. We're in Acts 4, verses 1 through 12. And here is a continuation of Peter, John, raising up a man who has been lame from birth. They go into the temple. They go by the gate, beautiful. They see this man that's been there from birth and he's been lame and and he's begging from them. And Peter says, silver and gold, I don't have any. But what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And God strengthened his legs and healed him. And he began to leap and to jump and to to praise God. And this caused a commotion. Now, last week, we talked about miracles. This first miracle in the book of Acts and whether or not miracles are happening today. And I sent you some places for miracles. So if you're interested in whether or not the supernatural is still happening today and God is still doing miracles, I suggest the message that we looked at last week. And there's some resources there that are really good ones. But now we come to the difficulty that comes when we begin to do things for Christ. And so there was a commotion and they're in Solomon's porch. And now there's thousands of people that are in the temple and they're hearing this guy screaming and hollering and they find themselves together. But also it brings in some other people. It brings in, it says in Acts 1, 1 through 12. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, they're not upset that this guy has been made well. They're upset that Peter, when he recognized that people thought he did it, he said, why do you look at me as if I've done it? It's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, who God rose from the dead, that this man stands well before you. And now comes these three different groups of people. First of all, there's the priests. The priests were the aristocratic groups, uh, an aristocratic family or the group of the Sadducees that ran the priesthood. And just imagine if out in our pavilion, there was some kind of a tumult that happened. A bunch of people were screaming and hollering and yelling. I'll guarantee you security would be there pretty soon. I guarantee you our pastors on staff would be going on going, what's going on here? What, what, do I need to handle anything? So seeing the priest show up, we understand that. And the captain of the guard, that would be like the head of security. The captain of the guard, he's out there trying to figure out what's going on now. But the Sadducees show up as well. And let's talk about the Sadducees in a moment. But before we do that, let's consider what Jesus said to you and me about persecution. In a word or in a few words, he said, you can expect persecution. Listen to what he says in Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Every so often someone will come up to me and say, I'm being persecuted at work. I didn't get that that promotion because I'm a Christian. Some people are saying bad things about me. I'm now being censured by work and I'm just being persecuted. What should I do? 
And I, I always very gently say, rejoice. Because <laughs> that's what Jesus said. Because great is your reward in heaven. It's not just rejoice because people are treating you bad or you're being falsely accused or you're being falsely treated. It's rejoice because he he's not ignoring it. God's not ignoring it. Great is your reward in heaven when you stand for Christ. So when you are tempted to hide your Christianity because you know that there's going to be a cost to be paid for hiding your Christianity, you're giving up a reward that is in heaven. And increasingly, there is pressure for us to hide who we are and what we believe. In John 15, 18 and 19, Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. You were in the world and the world loves its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. They don't hate you for your sake. They hate you because you're a Christian. They hate you for what you stand for. People will, will learn that you're a Christian and immediately dislike you because of that. Now, this isn't for weirdness sake. I'm not saying that you should go out and be weird and, and cause people to hate you. Jesus said, blessed are those who persecute you for righteousness sake. And can I also say this? Hey, look, being involved politically is good. There, and, and being involved in issues that are political are not offline for a Christian. I'm very involved in the issue of abortion. And I'm very involved in where it's going to today in our culture, which is the abortion pill, which is said you just, you know, you take the pill and you're not pregnant anymore. But in, in reality, you find out you're pregnant at about six weeks, you take the pill and you miscarriage a baby. And if any of you guys have miscarried, have had a miscarriage, gals have miscarried a baby, then you know the psychological trauma that that causes. And so it's not what it is said to be. And a human life is being, is, is being, um, is being dispelled. Uh, I had someone who spoke to me about God in the Old Testament killing babies. That God commanded the children of Israel to kill women, children uh, in Jericho. Now, Jericho was a political, was a, um, was a, a military outpost. So there wouldn't have been a lot of men and women in there. Nevertheless, God gave that command. But my response was, are you pro-life? And they said, no, I'm pro-choice. And I said, how, how far along do you think a baby should be killed? And they said, well, I don't know, but I think a woman should have a right to do with her body whatever she wants to do. And so I said, so you believe that you have the right to stop a baby's life, but God doesn't. So when God plays God, you're upset with him. If a hurricane comes through and it's an act of God and God could have stopped it and wipes out a city and many babies are killed, you're upset. But if there are millions of babies that are killed because people feel they have a right to be able to take a baby's life in the womb, then they're not upset. So we can stand for those kind of things. But let me say this. It's for righteousness sake and not political sake. You can stand for politics. You can stand for, for political things. You can do that. But it should never be higher than Christ. And they're not the same thing. I heard a pastor say this week that if you're a pastor and you only preach the gospel, repent. I couldn't believe what I heard. My response is, if you're a pastor and you think the gospel and politics are the same thing, then repent. 
because they are so far away from it. No politician is going to save your soul. No politician is going to rescue us. They are separate things. I'm not saying you can't be involved, right? I'm not saying you can't be political. I'm not saying, but I'm saying Christ should always be higher. Uh, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but it is Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live towards him. I find it very hard to say a similar statement like that about politicians. And on top of that, I, I can't think of any politician I trust. I don't know. Maybe you do, but I can't. But I trust Christ fully. First Corinthians, so it's a difference. Let's be persecuted for the sake of Christ. Second Corinthians 12, 10, Paul said this, therefore I take pleasures in my infirmities, my reproaches in needs, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. Paul noticed that in our weakness, God can be strong. There's another passage like this in Hebrews 11, where a bunch of, by faith, they went through a lot of difficulties and in their weakness, they were made strong. We don't need to be strong for God to use us in powerful ways because it's the power of God through us. In 1 Corinthians 12, 10, therefore, Paul said, well, uh, in Revelation 2, 10, uh, this will be my last one here. Do not fear any of these things that are about, you are about to suffer. This was the church of Smyrna who had persecution coming. Polycarp, one of the earliest um, bishops to be, and bishop would be pastor, one of the early, earliest pastors to be burned at the stake was burned in the stake in, in uh, Smyrna, which is a town in, in uh, Turkey. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that, he may, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Some believe that's 10 waves of persecution over the first 300 years of the church history. Some believe it's a literal 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Now, the early church faced great persecution. Before 1967, it came from uh, uh, it came from the Jewish community. You have the first martyr of the church being Stephen, who was stoned. You have the first apostle who was killed, who was John, who was killed by the sword by Herod. P uh, Paul himself persecuted the church. But in 19, in 19, in, uh, in 67 AD, not 1967, in 67 AD, Nero started to persecute the church in a great way. He he wanted to rebuild Rome. The Senate turned him down and then Rome burned down. And so he had to rebuild it now. Many thought it was Nero. He blamed the Christians and there was a great persecution of Christians throughout the Roman Empire during that time. There were waves of them. Dio, um, Domitian made it illegal if a Christian would not give allegiance to Caesar. They, had, they were polytheistic. They worshipped all kinds of different gods. And some of whom they worshipped, they worshipped Augustus, who was, a, who was a Caesar. They worshipped Tiberius, who was a Caesar. And you had to give allegiance by taking a pinch of incense, putting it in an incense burner and saying, Caesar is Lord. And Diomission said, or Domitian said, if you don't do that, we will, you will be killed. And many Christians had to make this stand. Now, sadly, some Christians wouldn't do it. They, they, their children would be killed, they would be killed, and they didn't do it. 
But many Christians did do it during that persecution. It was early on. John was exiled to the island of Patmos during that time. Now, there were waves of persecution that happened during the first 300 years. The worst was in 303 when Diomission, uh, Emperor Diomission, attacked the church in a severe attack. This is when you hear of children, of Christians being thrown to the lions while the parents watched. This is when you hear of just horrible things happening to them. And the irony is, seven years later, Constantine conquers in the name of the cross and sanctions Christianity. Maybe you've heard people say that he made Christianity the state religion. That's false. That comes from a book that's not a good scholarly book called Mystery Babylon by Hispel. It's not a good book. Doesn't, he doesn't, it's not a scholarly work. And he said that Rome became a Christian nation in 310. It didn't. All he did was sanction Christianity. They were polytheistic. So he was just saying, it's legal now for you to, to be a Christian. Before that, it was illegal. You could have worshipped Mars or Jupiter or uh, Hermes or Aphrodite, but you couldn't worship, or you could be a Jew. That was sanctioned. But you couldn't be a Christian. All he did was sanction it. And that let up on the persecutions, but that doesn't mean there hasn't been persecutions throughout the years for Christians. We saw some of it not that long ago when ISIS took Christians, I think it was in Libya, marched them out on a beach and beheaded them on video and then put it out there. These were Christians who had given their lives. So there is still persecution today. There is lighter persecution than just be having your life taken from him. And you may have experienced some of that. And so uh, uh, verse one of Acts chapter four, now he spoke to the people, the priests, the captains, the temple, and the Sadducees came out. Now, why are the Sadducees upset? During the ministry of Jesus, it was mostly Pharisees and Paul was a Pharisee that attacked the early church. But why are the Sadducees so upset here? Because the Sadducees only believed in the first five books of the Pentateuch and, the, and they could not find resurrection there. They couldn't find a resurrection or life after death or they didn't even believe in angels from the Pentateuch. And so they came and tested Jesus. Do you remember the test? They came with the Leverite law not the Levite law, there's no such thing, the Leverite law, which is, means brother in Hebrew. And so if a woman married a man and he died before he, she had a child, a male child, who could inherit the land, this was all about God keeping the territory of Benjamin and Benjamin, the territory of, of Judah in Judah, the territory of Manasseh in Manasseh. That's why they had the Leverite law. So that child that would be born to her because the brother had redeemed that, would have redeemed the land and that son would now receive that land. So the Sadducees came to Jesus and said, there was a woman and she married a guy and died before she had a child with him. And then she married her brother, had died before she had a child with him. And this happened through all seven other brothers and none of them had any children. And so whose wife will she be up in heaven? They think they got him. Life after death, she's gonna be married to seven guys up in heaven. What's going on here, Jesus? Now, no one asked the obvious question, which is, how come these men are dying? There's, there seems to be some problem here that these men have died before they, uh, how's, how's this woman's cooking? And is anything happening on purpose, you know? But Jesus said, you err in that you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God, that in heaven we will not be married like the angels, 
Now, most of you will be sad, but some will be happy that that's not the case. And I'm not going to go into that we'll still know them. We'll still have a relationship with them. We'll still know our children. There still will be a connection. All right. And we'll go into all that another time. That's not the purpose of this study. But he went on to say to them, God said, and this is in the Pentateuch. He's going to prove from the Pentateuch that there's a resurrection. God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive. And then Jesus said, for God is the God of the living and not of the dead. Now, why are they upset? Because, because, this man is made well. Well, they're not. Listen to what they're upset about. Verse two, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Christ the resurrection from the dead. That's why the Sadducees are upset. They're being challenged. Here they have all throughout Jerusalem, a few weeks after the resurrection, people getting saved in large numbers. And it's by the resurrection of Jesus being preached. So in verse three, they laid hands on them. This doesn't mean they laid hands on them and prayed for them. They arrested them. They put them in custody until the next day. Don't think this is a light thing. This is only a matter of a few weeks after Jesus has been arrested and crucified. Now they are arrested by the Sadducees for it was already evening. However, many of those heard the word believed and the number of the men who came to be about 5,000. So the first sermon preached where he talked about the scriptures fulfilling prophecy and Jesus being resurrected from the dead and dying for our sins, 3,000 got saved. He did a similar sermon where he talked about the suffering Messiah being fulfilled out of Isaiah 53. He talked about Moses talking about a prophet that was going to have preeminence. You're going to have to answer to him. A prophet's going to come like me and what he does, you're going to have to do. If you don't, you're going to have to answer for it. And he talked about the promise to Abraham that one of your descendants is going to bless all nations. And then two more thousand men got saved. Now, this is 5,000 men. They're not counting women. So there's some 10, 12 counting men, uh, women and children. Now, don't get mad at me. This is how they counted in those days. This is how all cultures counted in those days. So they were counting the men. And so then it says uh, about 5,000 came to believe and it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, scribes, as well as Annas the high priest. Peter and John are arrested. Annas the high priest has been put there, has been taken out of power by the Romans and Caiaphas has been placed into power. Caiaphas is his son-in-law, but Annas is still called the high priest. Do you remember what happened in the courtyard of Annas on the night Jesus was arrested. Jesus is before Annas. Jesus is being tried. And Peter is warming himself by the enemy's fire. And he's denying that he knows Jesus to a courtyard girl. Okay. Now he stands before Annas. He's in the position of Jesus and Caiaphas. And when Jesus stood before Caiaphas, Caiaphas said, I adjure you in the name of the living God. Are you the son of God? And Jesus said, it is as you say, but from here on out, you will see the son of man coming in the clouds of glory, given power, dominion and a kingdom forever. He's declaring to be the one of Daniel seven, who a human who would rule forever. And so they tore their clothes and cried out blasphemy. Now he's standing before Caiaphas. 
John, this John is most likely the next high priest. After, after Caiaphas, Caiaphas' son John became high priest. There was a John, and that's who it is. Then Alexander, prominent in the family of, of Caiaphas, but we don't know who he is. And many others who are with the family of the high priest were gathered together in Jerusalem. This is basically the Sanhedrin. They've gathered together the rulers of Israel as well as the high priests. This is like the Supreme Court that, that they brought these guys before. And uh, they gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set him in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Now, they're supposed to call witnesses. They're not supposed to interrogate. So they are, they are fishing. They're looking for something that they can, can charge these men with. By what name and by what power have you done this? Now, in Matthew 10, 17 through 20, Jesus had said, when they arrest you and bring you into synagogues, don't worry about <coughs> what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit's going to give you the words to say when you say it. This doesn't mean you don't, don't prepare your studies, by the way, when you're preaching. I know a preacher who used that verse to say, I don't ever prepare my studies. I just get up and give them. He should have prepared his studies. <laughs> That's not what it's saying. It's saying when you are arrested, don't worry about it. And Peter's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the first thing that he does is recognize the irony of the situation. We healed a man and now you're judging us. And you're asking us questions to try to figure out how you can punish us. Verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and the people and the elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well. He brings up the absurdity of what has happened. We healed a man in the name of Jesus Christ and we are now being judged by you? This is lame. Sorry to bring that up. If you didn't get it, it's a lame man. If you have to explain your jokes, they're no good anyway, right? Today, Christians are being maligned. And, and I'm going to even go further than that. Christianity is being maligned especially by the neo-atheists and the academics who will say that Christianity has been the largest blight on mankind over the last 2,000 years. They claim that Christianity has caused all kinds of problems and there are all kinds of quotes that you can find about how evil Christianity is and that we are laying guilt upon people. And I'm not saying the church has been perfect or the church hasn't, hasn't leveraged guilt to raise money. I'm just talking about churches in general over the last 2,000 years because they have. Certainly by no means is it perfect. But that we're the biggest blight on the world. The top Christian relief organizations are Samaritan's Purse, Catholic Charities, Operation Blessings, Salvation Army, United Methodist Community of Relief, Episcopal Relief and Development, American Red Cross, and world vision in that order. If you don't have Christianity intervening in people in pain and suffering, you don't have hospitals. 
because they were first brought up by Christians. Not only that, a lot of Christians may have changed their name today, but there were so many Christians, a lot of hospitals may have changed their names today, but there are so many hospitals that started off with Christian names. There's so many universities that attack Christianity and won't allow it to be on their site because they, see a, they cite separation of church and state and they were Christian organizations. Harvard was a Christian college. And then they'll now deny that they can even speak on these campuses. The absurdity in, in, on the local level, when things happen in Tucson to families in our, our city, we will often come together as a church to help them. That happens all over the United States and it happens in other churches in Tucson where we come together to help those who are in need. It's, it's an absurdity to say those things. And he recognizes this as well. So then he says to them in verse 10, now he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's gonna let him have it. He says to the Sanhedrin, let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, by him this man stood, stands before you whole. So they got that man there with them. <coughs> he stands before you whole here. It's in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen, there is power in a name. If you have worked hard and gotten really good credit, you can go to a, a bank and you can get a line of credit without any collateral. Sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars, sometimes more, because your name is good. You don't need anything to back it up. You just sign your name and they certify it and you've been able to, because your name is good. Now, why is that the case? Because over a period of time, you've proven it. Now, if you've got bad credit, that's not the case for you. But if you have good credit, it is. I used to work in an automotive shop and it was called Murphy Dorn, which was the two guys that owned it. Murphy was, uh, Dorn was silent. Murphy was always around. And if the floor manager came out to me and said, stop working on this car and I want you to start working on that car. Murphy told me to tell you, I stop working on this car and I start working on that car. Now, he, Murphy had told me, get this work order for this car and get this one done. But he came out and changed, said, Murphy said to stop this one, pick up that one. What do I do? I haven't talked to Murphy. I stop working on this car and work on that one because I trust the floor manager is bringing me what, what is really supposed to be said. So at the name of Murphy, it could change what I did. I also learned I could go to the parts department. Now, at first I had to bring a work order with me. I would show them what I wanted. I had to sign it and then I could get the radio or cruise control or whatever we were putting in. But after a while, they learned to trust me. So I could go to the parts department. I'd say, I need this, I need this, I need this. And I'd get it from them without having to sign anything. And I'd put it all together and put the work order together and get it all done by the end of it. Now, if the floor manager came to me and said, Murphy told me to tell you the Camaro you're working on, that you can have this, the customer's car, you can have it, and that you could take a month off. <laughs> I, would, I would know that's not Murphy because he never gives people days off. <laughs> because I know him, I would know there's a problem here. He's not gonna give me a customer's car. He's not gonna give it off. So when people say you can get whatever you want in the name of Jesus, and you hear people teach this, just in the name of Jesus, have enough faith, ask him for a boat, a car, a house, a plane, ask him for anything, and he'll give it to you in the name of Jesus. And they use passages like this. We have 
Philippians, well, we have uh, John 14, 13 and 14. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, that I will do. But did you, yeah, he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. But did you notice the, the, the qualifier? To glorify the Father. So yes, the name of Jesus is powerful, but we want to glorify the Father. Let me give you another verse with a qualifier. This is 1 John 5, 14 and 15. Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears what we ask, we know that we will have the petitions that we have asked of him. It's got to be by his will. That's why if he told me Murphy said you could have a month off, I wouldn't take the month off because I know that's not Murphy's will. And if Jesus, and I know Jesus doesn't want me to have a Maserati. So I'm not going to go, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you give me a Maserati. He probably knows I'd kill myself in a Maserati. So he's not going to give it to me. Or, for, or it's ridiculous for a pastor to have a Maserati, right? I'm going to pull up in a Maserati. There are people that have a problem that I have a charger. All right, that's, that's but a Maserati. No, God's going to say no. It's not according to his will. But he desires all to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. He said, ask and you will receive. In Nazareth, he couldn't do many miracles because they didn't believe. It didn't mean that he prayed for them and it didn't happen. They didn't bring them to him. And the Bible says you don't have because you don't ask. So are there things that God has a will in your life for that you're not asking because there's power in the name of Jesus. In Philippians, we're told that there is power. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, let me read this to you. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. I believe there's a lot we don't receive because we don't ask. And the Bible says that you don't receive because you do not ask. You have things going on in your life Family members need miracles. And when I say miracles, I don't just mean physical. Salvations are miracles. Someone being freed from an addiction is a miracle. Someone being cut free from an abusive, destructive relationship that they won't let go is a miracle. Begin to pray for them. Begin to pray in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Don't just let it be some tag at the end of a, of a prayer line because there are things done in this name that is higher than any other name. It's not a magic word. We are going in the name of Jesus. We are doing things he wants. That's what in the name of Jesus means. I'm doing things in the name of Jesus. When I worked at that shop, I had a responsibility to do things in the name of Murphy. He owned the place. In the name of Jesus, I couldn't do what I wanted in his name. I had to do what he wanted in the name, in his name. So the more you learn about God, the more you know him, the more you are going to learn what it is that God wants for you. In, let me see if I can find this here. In 1 John 15 and 14, I read this already, but let me just read a part of it. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We're looking for his will to see that done. Now, Peter's not done yet. He's bold. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. So he says to them, this is the stone which the builders rejected or was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. 
There was a myth or an account when the building of the Temple of Solomon that the, it was, they quarried the stones and brought them up to the temple and that they had quarried the cornerstone and sent it up, but they couldn't figure out, the builders couldn't figure out where it went. There, there's even an account of it where they rolled it down the Kidron Valley. They were like, get, rid, get this out of our way. We're stumbling over this thing. It's in our way. And then when it came time for the cornerstone to be put on, they sent to the quarry and said, send up the cornerstone. And the quarry said, we already sent up the cornerstone. And they went and found this stone and it was the one they had stumbled over and they put it into place. Now there's a passage about this and it is Psalms 118.21. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Now again, truth or myth, we don't know. But the idea is that there's a stone which is the chief cornerstone, which has been rejected. And Jesus is the stumbling block. They stumble over Jesus and he is the chief cornerstone. And then he says this, this is the end of our study, nor is there salvation in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby men can be saved. And so Romans 10 says, all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. He has saving power when you call on the name of Jesus. He has transforming power when you call on the name of Jesus. Now, three quick things in closing. Number one, we will have persecution. It will happen. It's going to happen on lower levels and it may happen on greater levels. Who knows where we're going here? Who knows where our culture is now? As I said, we're in a post-Christian culture. Christians are seen as the enemy you can talk about anything. You can affirm anything, but they don't affirm Christianity in any way, shape or form. So who knows where it's going? But when you are persecuted, rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. When you lose your job because you're a Christian, rejoice because great is your, your reward. That is heaven. Not again, when you lose your job because you're a weirdo, that's not, don't rejoice. But when you're persecuted, Number two, let the persecution be for Christ. I'm not going to get back on the, the political bandwagon. There are two different things. And yes, politics and getting the right people into politics can help the United States, but nowhere near what Jesus Christ can do. That is the highest call. He saves people through all of eternity and I'm not saying you can't be involved in politics. Just don't mix the two up. Like the pastor that I heard this last week, if you only preach the gospel, repent. No, if you're preaching politics as the gospel, you repent, buddy. <laughs> Third, never forget the power in the name of Jesus. May this, this, this lesson that there's no other name given that is as high as the name of Christ and this is not just a way to end prayer, but you are actually calling out for, in his name to do things he wants to do that are his will, according to his will, not to be used for selfish things, but to be used for people around us. And, and the more we learn about him, the more we know what he wants. God desires all to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. God also gives people free will, so not everybody's gonna get saved, but people are going to come to Christ as we are praying for them. 
pray for family, friends, co-workers, those that are on your heart, those that you don't know what to do, that you're hurting over, pray for them in the name of Jesus. Do it diligently and let's see God meet those needs in his name. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be able to study your word here today. It is our authority. We, we live by what your word says. Help give us direction. Thank you that you told us when we're persecuted to rejoice because great is our reward that is in heaven. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.